What do the clothes that you wear communicate about who you are? Maybe more than you think. I'm Ellie Hill and welcome to Stand Out Life, a podcast dedicated to exploring what does it take to live boldly amongst the busyness of our world. And when it comes to boldness, clothing has a big part to play in our confidence as we face uncertainty. Catherine Eisman is a multi-Emmy Award-nominated television journalist, best-selling author and internationally celebrated fashion decoder and entrepreneur. A pioneer in the language of fashion, Catherine has toured the globe as a speaker and columnist on the topic, noted by the media for her uncanny ability to read a person based on the clothes that they wear. Her unique combination of razor-sharp wit Deep analysis, warmth and insight into contemporary issues and trends coupled with her live TV experience both in front and behind the camera has contributed to her becoming one of Australia's most successful media exports. After more than a decade in the pinnacle of the USA media, Catherine has returned to Australia to co-create, co-EP and star in a TV series called Undressed with Catherine Eisman. We chat about the power of clothing expressing who we really are and how Catherine actually reads people in her latest TV show. Ultimately, we talk about the importance of feeling comfortable in the skin that you're in. Now, before you get self-conscious about maybe what you are wearing as you're listening to this episode, just know that I was donning a pair of Ugg boots the entire interview. Engaging, enticing and uplifting is this conversation with Catherine Eisman. Catherine, it is such a delight to be connecting with you. Thank you so much for having me. I can't wait. I like you already. (laughs) (laughs) Good. We've kickstarted this well. Look, there are so many pathways we're going to jump into in this conversation and some of the titles that you have picked up along your career, things like journalist, fashion designer, model, entertainment, television journalist. Tell me a little bit about, I guess, career-wise, growing up, what did you want to be? Did you have a sense of kind of a direction that you were keen to take or were there other areas that interested you as you were growing up? Oh, that's such a good question because I think, I know growing up, I was definitely in the creative areas. (laughs) I knew I wasn't going to be a mathematician. (laughs) I was deeply and still am passionate about language and writing. So I spent most of my childhood writing poems and I'm still so moved by language and just I think it's really just communication and the idea of like how do I know what I think until I read what I wrote and I think that's so true and absolutely I've always loved design and you know so everyone I think thought I would end up you know maybe going into art or would I be a writer or and then that love of art kind of progressed into fashion so I would spend my lunch break in the library reading. I think we had a subscription. The school had a subscription to Seventeen magazine, which was not like the pinnacle of high fashion, but it was what I had access to. And I remember just devouring it. I remember just the idea of creating this sense of identity and, and fantasy through clothing was this, you know, it was art and all the things that I love, but it was wearable and it was connected. You could take it into the world. There was a practical component. And I thought that was amazing. I think for my year 12 yearbook they're like who are you coming to your 10-year reunion and I think I said my spring summer collection you know (laughs) what a pain in the ass I was but anyway (laughs) nothing's changed and so I really loved that so I thought it was either going to be writing or it would be fashion design and then as I kind of progressed and got older I realized that if you you know I wrote my first book when I was really quite young and then I illustrated that so that was this interesting kind of hybrid of the two and then I started modeling which was kind of wearing the fashion and then that kind of combined with journalism because every time I've been on TV you know I've always written what I've said and so it was this great exploration because I remember reading I think Martha Stewart had a book like Omnimedia or something was and there were very few people that I saw at least that were multi kind of faceted in their careers. They always, when I was growing up, it was almost like choose a lane. You know, mm-hmm. my dad was a doctor and my mum was a teacher and, and are you going to be this and that? And I always found that so restrictive. And I think in the fullness of time, I've realised that if you do have all these diverging passions, but you follow them, you don't actually dilute your 
career or whatever, you actually end up building something that's truly unique and forging your own path. And you often don't see that until it's retrospective. But anyway, so that's kind of what I wanted to, to do. But communicate, make people think, make people laugh, inspire them. And whether that's through fashion or words or television, that's what I've always loved. So interesting, isn't it? My son is 15. So he is in that era of choosing subjects for his final couple of years of schooling, which is then what will be that career. And very much I'm kind of going, go and explore the world is kind of my sense. But it's so interesting interesting you know I think growing up we will have a pick a lane stick to it you need to make the call and yet this kind of divergence of what you're really passionate about following that expression of it is really interesting that some of those kind of key threads are part of who we are. Yeah and the idea that maybe the job that you want doesn't exist. And, you know, and we all hear about that and we usually hear it in relation to technology, you know, the jobs that your kid's going to have. But I mean even in the more authentic sense of it is that maybe it's something that you innovate and that you create born from your own unique skill sets or passions or something you notice is missing. And I think that makes you kind of quite irreplaceable in the workplace as well and obviously fosters a great career but also much more than that it's truly enjoyable because it's led by you rather than you trying to fit into a pre-existing kind of role and kind of that nine to five thing which I think is more and more antiquated. So yeah I, I think it's great yeah. Sometimes look sometimes you can't do all of them at once you might have to pick one and get really good at it But I don't think you need to feel stuck in that. I think you can always have, like, while I was at uni, I remember I did a foined English and I did all those subjects. But then I remember when I was at uni, I was doing communications journalism, I was also modelling and that's when I wrote my first book. I was always wanting to do them all at once, you know, Mm. writing my column while I was at NBC or doing, you know, so that you feel fully realised as a person, you know, and, and not stuck. Journalism obviously was a significant path that you followed down and not only picked up work here in Australia but pursued that over in the US. Talk to me a little bit about that transition, travelling and also getting into that field of journalism yeah. you know, at a very young age really for <laughs> yeah. someone in that career. What was that like? How did you, I guess, follow that kind of trajectory? Yeah, look, the truth is I think that no one would probably employ me here. <laughs> That's, you know, I was, I just finished studying communications journalism. I'd just written my first book, which I had not known if anything would have come from it. It ended up being a really bestseller here. And, and then it got a, I got a publisher in the US. And I remember while I was at uni, I had gone on like Beauty and the Beast and different shows promoting it. But I was 21 and there was no chance that anyone was going to give me a job in Australia. There just wasn't. And at that age, you know, they they wait until usually, you you know, then you're too old. Just kidding. <laughs> you're never the perfect age, yeah. So I remember I went on this book tour and the book tour really was I had a publisher in the US. I had a bestseller in Australia, but I had nothing planned. I didn't know where I was going to sleep. I had a suitcase full of completely inappropriate clothing for New York winter. <laughs> like no idea how cold it really is. I used to like sleep with all my clothes on at night. And I would go out and I didn't know anyone. And I would go out in New York, this young girl and, you know, staying, like I think there was this American Australian Association and I was kind of couch surfing because they'd put up a posting. It was not this glamorous thing where they rolled out the red carpet for me in any way. And I remember I was on Good Morning America. It was my first TV appearance. And they had lined up all these shoes. So my first book was called How to Tell a Man by Shoes. And they lined up all these shoes and it's like it was the biggest morning show, you know, in the mm-hmm. world. And they were like, okay, describe each of these people. But it wasn't the person, it was just the shoes. And I was like, no, I can really do this. So like I've always kind of, you like, got to back myself. I remember listening to like Eminem song, you know, this is one chance, don't miss your opportunity. Like, you know that psych up? I don't yes, know if it like makes yes. you enthused or like just have a kind of mental breakdown. But anyway, <laughs> I was like, you can do this and no big deal. You know, just, you know, so, so many, many millions of people. And it got a great response. And then I went on to the Today Show today in New York and I talked about my book there and that got an amazing response. And they said, oh, do you have any other ideas? I said, yeah, of course, I've got a lot of ideas. And I sent this email. They said, oh, would you like to come back? I said, yes. And so I came back again and again as a reporter, just as a contributor. 
And then within a couple of months, they created the position for me. So I think I became the youngest on-air reporter on NBC history. And it was this amazing education in, you know, coming up with story ideas and then researching. I'd pitch it to my executive producer. Then I'd go out and film it, me and my cameraman, you know, interviewing everyone from Mayor Giuliani and Clinton to people who were covering New York Fashion Week and Oscar de la Renta and Carolina Herrera, covering human interest stories, people shifting the world. And it was it was like someone gave this kid the keys to, the, mm. you know, what I think is the most exciting city in the world, New York. And they were like, go for it. And I'd write, I'd cover a story overnight and then come back and write it and turn it overnight. And then they'd put more makeup on and I'd do it. And it was just an amazing thing. And I just stayed. And I just, and I remember my news director even said to me, listen, don't, if anyone ever asks how old you are, don't tell them that you're 21. Why and is that? I ended up, what was that, do you think? I've always felt like very, like an old soul, which mm-hmm. is so funny. As I get older, I feel more immature, but <laughs> like I'm, I'm regressing. But I remember always looking in the mirror as this young girl and being shocked that I had been put in this like young blonde body. Like it just always, I always felt so disconnected. Like in my soul, I was always like this kind of older, maybe even like a man, like I don't know, quite a serious person in some ways. And And then I was kind of, you know, put into this kind of, it sounds so crazy, but put in this external package, which just always felt kind of absurd to me, mm-hmm. you know, that it was like how it so was not, and it's, it's always felt absurd to me. I remember even when I was like modeling, I was like, how is this me? I'm just like some geeky old dude, you know, yeah, <laughs> that happens to have double D, you know, it just always felt disconnected. Like yes. it's not really my identity, which is a great thing. Cause as you get older, I'm not that attached Mm -hmm. to this you know because it doesn't it just feels like a joke you know anyway and so I think he just didn't want people to judge me based on my age and wanted Mm. me to be judged by the work that I was doing and the writing I was doing and and I think age particularly for women there's so much stigma around it you know as I mentioned earlier about how old you are and what you're meant to know by that point or what you're suitable for in the workplace for. What are, you a, what are you a good package for, you know? And media, I think, is guilty of this more than even the general public, you know? But, and I think that men seem to operate with a much more freedom in terms of their age and their timelines, whereas women, it's like, I remember like morning TV, they like you to have a kid, you know, so that you're relatable to that audience or, you know, be a mum, but not too old of a mum. And not. And there's just all these ridiculous things that mm. I kind of rejected, but they're there. And I think maybe he was kind of aware of that and didn't want me to be stigmatised one way or another. So interesting. I think it was something you even mentioned before you're never quite the right age, whatever it is, whether it's young, but you're too young, so you're not connected, but then you'd want to be, you know, relatable, but not too old. <laughs> so what yeah. does that even mean? Let yeah. alone what does it look like yes. is a really kind of fascinating thing and how that timeline is quite different for men and women, particularly totally. on television, particularly in journalism. And it's mm-hmm. probably continued throughout your career have you seen that kind of change? Have you noticed some of that change? I think in Australia is interesting in that they usually they have a few people that they put on television and they often stay for a very long time. There's not much change. Like you can come back, you know, like over 15 years later as I have and it's the same people on television, you know. In America they would never have that, you know, or they would never have the one person host multiple shows on the same network. They would mm. be like, well, we've got more than one talented female you know, particularly female, why don't we invest in those kind of variety of talents? And so in relation to the age component, I think it is improving without question. Mm. I don't think you like reach certain, I mean, remember it was, you know, 35 was old, you know what I mean? And then yes. uh, 45 and then 55. And I think the idea of, you know, if even what age means is shifting, you know, I think, you know, 50s and you fought, you know, all of that, I think that is true in terms of our energy side or roles that we have and how we even look and that's probably connected to um, longevity and other things but and plastic surgery and Botox I'm just kidding <laughs> mainly All Botox but um, I'm like which I haven't I was like god I really no I'm like I'm not doing it but anyway what's interesting is that I think that it is improving but I think that it still exists And I think that it's almost impossible to be the right age. And if you are the right age, it's very short-lived because (laughs) it keeps on changing, right? And for me, I I don't care. Like I feel 
that idea of being ageless, just as I felt like an old person in many ways when I was in my early 20s. Now that I'm in my early 40s, I feel as youthful and, and energetic and enthused about my career and as I did in my early 20s. So I feel the same. In mm. fact, maybe I feel a little bit younger. So so I think you just it has to be about energy and how you feel. And I think hopefully people just read your energy and you just have to forget about what everyone else says because you know what? You're the right age. The fact that you're alive, that means you're the right age. Thank you very much. I'll take it. <laughs> keep doing what you're doing and keep being interested yeah. in what you're you're doing. I want to shift a little bit and talk a bit about one of the threads throughout your career that you've been really interested in and now you're expressing is through this connection to fashion and identity, who we are through the clothes that we wear. You've got a TV show called Undressed with Catherine Eisman, which is on Paramount Plus, and people can tune into that. There are episodes that are available right now. Talk to me a little bit about the clothes that we wear and how that ties into this expression of who we are. What have you learnt? What do you understand around the connection between identity and the way that we clothe yeah, ourselves. Yeah, identity and, and aesthetic. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think people think fashion superficial. You know, there's this such a stigma around fashion being surface. And yet every single day we are participating in choosing clothing and whether it be on a conscious level, subconscious, and I really believe it's always a combination of both, that the skin you choose, you know, you don't get to choose the skin you're in. But every day when you get dressed you are gravitating towards certain items of clothing that you wear as an extension of yourself in the world. Now, some people are hyper aware of this and they kind of orchestrate it and design it to be a specific thing and that's revealing in its own way, you know. And then other people, it's, you know, like what's at the top of the dirty laundry there? It's still like give it the sniff test. Is <laughs> Okay, we've Good got one go. more day in it. <laughs> but either way, it's about what colours are you drawn to? It's your subconscious has chosen those pieces and then you get to wear you wear them out into the world as an expression of your internal world made visible there's this wonderful thing it's like the furniture of your mind made visible and that's what clothing really is so no matter whether you say oh look it was just the cleanest thing I could find or whatever that's also quite revealing and I'm just always been fascinated I don't think people reveal themselves in grand declarations about who they say they are I've always believed it's the details it's the little things that they don't think anyone's going to notice that reveal us you know and I think that clothing is one of the most powerful ways that we can understand other people and read it as a form of nonverbal communication like body language and also how we can have a deeper understanding of our own self-identity. Where are we sitting right now? How do we feel about ourselves? What are we putting ourselves in? And checking in with that and bringing some consciousness to that and asking yourself, is this who I really want to be in this world? Like I spent a lot of my career interviewing actors, you know, hundreds of Academy Award winning actors. And invariably when I asked them, when did you feel like you inhabited your role? I would say nine out of 10 times they say it's when I put on the character's wardrobe. I walked differently, I felt differently, that's when I became it. And it's no different for us. We are all kind of the leading ladies or men in our own film. It's just that it's our life. And we get to choose what character that is. And our wardrobe is so powerful as part of that. And so I wanted to create this show, which is an extension of my books. So I did it with this amazing team with Bruna Papandrea and Made Up Stories who have done, you know, created some of my favourite shows in, in the world. And it was their first non-scripted series and Eden Gaha, amazing. And we wanted to tell the stories of people, men and women, by using this kind of gift that I have where I can look at what you're wearing and I can tell the deepest parts of who you are. And I've never met these people before and it is this very honest moment of being seen and when someone says to you they recognize in you and they see something in you that you that you know is true and but you've hidden it so deep inside of yourself that you think how could they possibly know that and they see you know the best things and then also limiting self-beliefs and all these aspects that are all woven into the fabric that we wear on our body and then asking the questions that if you've been seen and then you change your clothes and you go out into the world can it change your life? And it's this kind of 
experiment in many ways. And it's just the project that I'm most proud of in my career. I've been working with TV a long time because it's just so real and beautiful and you can't help but watch this show, Andrea Catherine Eisman, and it's on Paramount Plus now and you can watch all the episodes and be like, I'm that person, I'm that. Oh, my God, the black T-shirt means that, the mom jeans mean that, the elasticized waist means, oh, my God, who wouldn't think? And then, and then see what you can do to change your life. It's amazing. <laughs> Through these conversations, and whilst this is an expression, this is also something you've been doing probably in the background for a long time, this connection and interest in fashion. Are there common fears that people have through these conversations? Are there key things that you have found that people, whether it's that kind of hiding who they are or this kind of sense of I'm not sure whether that part of me can be seen, has there been commonalities in what people have expressed and what are those? So many commonalities. And in the show we go through some of them as and highlight them as, you know, this idea of time capsule dressing, you know, where people can get stuck in a certain period in their life. And it's often connected to when you felt the deepest synergy with the music and when you felt most, you know, alive and you get stuck in there. But the messaging of that is how the best years are behind you and not ahead of you. And how do you shift that and kind of say goodbye to that person and be the new iteration of yourself or the uniform of the invisible, you know, the black T-shirt crowd, you Mm. know, and that is so common. And the idea of not wanting to put yourself out there and what kind of past hurts have occurred to you where you just want to be safely in the background of your own life and how do you get out of that shadow, your own shadow, and step into your own light and kind of feel that you're worthy of showing up for yourself in that way and taking up more space in the world. Another thing we talk about is this idea of waiting, you know, I call it waiting, and it's W-E-I-G-H-T, and it's, you know, whether you've had a baby and, you know, you're a new mum or you're just going through a different shift in your life and your body's changing, which, and now all of our bodies, as particularly as women, as men as well, though, but it just, they're not, <laughs> you know, they're not, they're not a stagnant thing. They're forever evolving and, you know, mm. day to day, month, you know, throughout the month and throughout the, you know, the years and decades. And the idea of, feeling that until you look a certain way or go back to looking a certain way, you are not worthy of dressing or embracing fashion or looking great. So you kind of, you're in the gray period of your life, you know, the waiting room of your life. And that's expressed through fashion. And the idea of dressing yourself as you are now, meet yourself as you are now and dress that body and think that body rather than waiting to get back to this fictitious thing that may never happen again. And or elasticized waste that was the COVID thing and the idea of us all becoming more and more lax and losing the structure in our life, whether it be from working from home and the clothing that we wore and what that did to us and how when you feel like you've kind of lost all the boundaries in your life and you feel like you're falling apart, how do you use clothing and structure to make you feel like you're back, you know, on a path? And so there's so many things within the show that are common themes and remedies that you can kind of apply every day to change the way you feel. Not about just how the world sees you, but like, how do you see yourself when you look in the mirror? Do you look in the mirror and say, I see me, let's do this, you know? Or do you just kind of like, I hope I don't bump into anyone I know today, you know, which we've all had. So anyway, that's what I've been so passionate about bringing to life. Such interesting conversations The work that I do, we work with teams and individuals and leaders going through change. We talk a lot about identity, often around the stories that we hold from who we've been, who we are now and who we're becoming and helping people kind of transition and and bring those threads together. But certainly even with our team, we have used stylists in the past for them to start to think about what's the role that you're stepping into, who are you becoming and that doesn't have to be even a career role or anything like that it's just about who you're stepping into if there's someone listening that's kind of going hey this is peaking just a little interest in me where do I start do you have a place for or how would you encourage people to go okay I have been hiding <laughs> I have yeah. I've been putting the elasticine waist on or you know or I'm zoom at the top and <laughs> casual <laughs> down the pads. bottom <laughs> pajamas as I'm at the sitting bottom. here in my Ugg boots which I'll show you that's just that's just staying warm that's just that's just being sensible right. <laughs> I like it where would someone start yeah sure 
Well, they can go onto my website, katherineisman.com, and you can reach out and I often work with people. But a great thing to do is ask the question, when you look in the mirror, and this is an exercise that I really love, is look yourself, first of all, in the eye. When we look in the mirror, you know, when we talk to a person, we give them the dignity of looking them in the eye, right? But when we look in the mirror, our eyes just, we look at all the flaws or things we don't like, we don't connect. So look yourself in the mirror for a second and say, if this is my movie and this is my life and this is, and who knows, I don't know if there's a second act, like this might be it, right? As far as we know, all right? Is this the character that is the true reflection of who I want to play in this life? Now, it might be, yeah, I'm pretty good. But if it's not, then you say, okay, that's the first thing, you know, acknowledging that, you, that you're not satisfied, which is great because from there, change is possible. And then you can ask yourself, okay, what are the three, I call them the three power style words. And they're not about style, but they're about identity that express who I am, the best parts of myself. And three is a really good one because we're not one thing in life, you know, and two is too, is too difficult. Three is even hard, but, but three is good because it kind of narrows it down for us. So it might be, I want to feel powerful. I want to feel creative. You know, these are who I am. These are the best aspects of myself. And for everyone, it's different. And then what you do is, I always say, start in your own wardrobe. You don't have to go shopping. Shop your own wardrobe. And go through it and ask, do these clothes say these three words? You know what I mean? Do they say it? Now, and the third word could be something that is comforting. So you don't have to get rid of all your comfortable clothes, but it can just be like comfortable in my own skin or whatever it is. And you have the combination. And edit your own wardrobe accordingly and just donate it. So get rid of the stuff that does not speak to that person anymore. You know, that kind of bright orange top that you never felt good in, that you're always a bit too tight and you think maybe one day I'm going to fit. Get rid of it. Every time you open your wardrobe and you see that, it just makes you feel insecure about your body not being what it was. It's not you anymore. You're better than that now. You're new. And so give it to someone else who maybe that is the stage they're in. Donate it, you know what I mean? And then go shopping. And, and another great thing is when you go shopping, we always have what I call fashion blinkers. And it's this like kind of tunnel vision of like, we had someone on the show who was told when she was a young girl that she looked fat in a skirt. Guess what? She's 40 years old and Still do you think she's, ever, she's worn yeah. a short skirt? No. And we carry these, as you mentioned earlier so correctly, these kind of stories that have been maybe told to us and that we retell to ourselves and become identity. They become truth, but they're not. They're just stories. And so you go shopping and just say, okay, I'm going to go shopping for someone, my best friend, and just take the pressure off that you have to put it on in the dressing room, you know, and just see what you might actually like for once. Just changing that idea that you're not shopping for yourself, but you're just shopping for your best friend or someone and picking what you like, you'll be amazed how free you feel for the first time shopping. And then trick yourself and be like, all right, I'm just going to try them on, you know? And you'll be surprised to see that the things that you thought you couldn't wear, you could, and you will rediscover yourself. And then, and, and so there are so many different exercises that you can do and opening your mind to what's possible. Also, like, what's too good for you? I always go shopping. Like, go shopping on a website or in a shop where you can afford it. It's your price range, whether it's Zara or Kmart or Louis Vuitton, whatever it might be, it doesn't matter. And walk in and be like, what's too good for me? What do I think, oh, that's, that's too good for me? Because we often have limiting self-beliefs. And so do that as well. That's another great way. I love that sense of, yeah, what's too good for me and... What's the stories that might come up in our head or in our thinking around, well, you can try it on and see and what might that express and look like. There can be in fashion and styling, one of the stories can be this tug of war between what I'm allowed to wear and this tug of war between society or what the role or the position or the job that I have at the moment that I should be wearing as opposed to what is me and an expression of me. How have you navigated that? You've no doubt been in different roles, different career kind of places where there's been a sense of how do I style for the job that I've got, but also how do I have an expression of who I am in that? Has that been a tug of war for you? Is that something you've navigated? How do you how have you walked that tension between expressing myself versus the pull of maybe what I feel like I should be wearing? Yeah. Absolutely. And I haven't always got it right. That's the thing. Like I remember when I was 
a reporter for for NBC when I was so young. I remember I'd gone with all these, as I said, this suitcase full of like bright coloured summer clothing for winter, like completely wrong. And then over the course of the next couple of years, my wardrobe just became increasingly black and more and more blazers and kind of oversized things. And I think you know, I felt very strong and empowered in, in that role, but I also was quite vulnerable as this young girl living in, you know, a city with, you know, supporting herself and, you know, living by her wits. And I think that I started dressing in a way, which we actually talk about on Undressed, using clothing as armour. So defensive dressing is something else that we do. And I think that I suddenly started doing that and being taken seriously. So I think if I look at some of my old reels from back in those days, I actually, I think I look almost older than I do now because I was dressing subconsciously. See, we're all doing it myself. And even though I'm helping people, I'm also participating. And that's why I'm, it's so fascinating. We're all in it, you know, that's unless you're in a nudist colony and that says a lot about you as well. <laughs> <laughs> we don't unpack that on no. undressed or ironically. <laughs> but I think I was trying to protect myself, distance myself, make my feel safe, make myself not look that attractive in a, in a, in a desexualize mm-hmm. myself. Mm-hmm. So I didn't feel so vulnerable as this young girl living by herself, you know, you know, like double D breath, you know, I covered it up. I didn't want people to look at me that way, partly because I wanted to be taken, you know, you know, I was very interested in my journalism. And then also partly I didn't want to feel vulnerable or, you know, potentially put myself in a, you know, compromising position as well. And so, yes, I, I definitely did that. And then now as I kind of work through a lot of those things, even when I came back from LA, so I used to be head of fashion lifestyle e-news and when I moved to LA, again, a whole new wardrobe, different things, colourful dress, you know, it was like a whole new, it's so different, just like New York, LA, Sydney, they're all separate worlds and my New York wardrobe felt absurd there and then when I came back to Australia, my LA Hollywood wardrobe felt so ridiculous here. It was not me anymore. You know, mid-COVID, I moved back. You know, I went from being on the red carpet and reporting and, you know, interviewing, you know, bigger stars and then coming back here and, you know, it's more low-key here and it's, you know, like everyone's wearing 50 shades of beige linen and, you know what I mean, it's very neutral and I didn't feel like I was that person anymore. I'd shifted. I felt more grounded in myself and everything that I'd gone through during COVID like many of us. And so it took me a while to re-identify who I wanted to be in this new part of my life. And, and it continually evolves for all of us, myself included. You know, I just recently did a whole big shop and got rid of a whole bunch of things. And I just, this is who I feel like I am now. When I get dressed, I make sense to myself. So I think just to see this as not a challenge, but as a beautiful way to self-express. And I think getting dressed every day should be an empowering and joyful form of self-expression. It shouldn't be about what's on trend, what suits your body. Take away all this pressure that women in particular feel about getting it right or wrong and just silence the noise if you can and just be like, who do I want to be today? What makes me feel joyful? What makes me feel happy? Makes me feel seen but also safe, yeah, if I need to. And just put those clothes on and that will be the right thing to wear. What are some of the things that people have said through that transition and once they've kind of discovered maybe the pieces or that expression of who I am, what are they saying to themselves or what what do you hear as being the shift for them? Oh, my gosh. I mean, when you watch Undressed, it's, I mean, get a tissue box because it is unexpectedly, like, deeply emotional but in the best possible way, in a really soul-enhancing way where you see people quite remarkably and authentically finally step into themselves. And when you see these reveals, it's not like, oh, I've lost 20 kilos and some stylist come and put me in a fabulous sequin. It's just the anti-makeover show in many ways. It's like you get to see these people look in the mirror and see themselves as they always hoped they would but would dare not acknowledge outside. And you notice that they look in the mirror into their eyes. That's the amazing Mm. thing. Whereas before when I first meet them, they look in the mirror and they can't make the eye contact. But they recognize themselves when they look in the mirror, sometimes for the first time. And that's when they check in on and they look in themselves in the eye. And the emotion that they feel that they're like, okay, I finally get to now start living my life. 
Like that's it. It's like kind of like every they've been in the waiting room, you know, mm. <laughs> and they finally it's like someone just opened the door and said, all right, your appointment's up, now start living your life. They get to get jump back into life. And I think it's impossible to watch a show and not feel like, oh, my God, this is how I kind of just get it started again for myself because time is so precious. You know, I just lost my mom uh, a few months ago and I'm so acutely aware of just how every single day is such a gift, you know, and that what an absolute tragedy to waste a day, a year, a decade for some people waiting, you know, waiting to live their life. You just seize it, you take it and and you get to see that on, on Undressed. You get to see people in, in, in the most beautiful way kind of live again. Get out of the waiting room. I love that, that sense of getting out of the waiting room, really embracing this day because this is the one that's in front of us. This uh, is it. This is what I have. This is it. Ask yourself, you know, I always ask like the ex-boyfriend test, you know, or like if I bumped into an ex-boyfriend from my past or whatever, would I like just hope, like hide or whatever? <laughs> or would I be like, yeah, look what you missed out on or whatever it is. And it's obviously a, a silly thing, but it's also kind of cuts to the, the like, are you, because if you're in the waiting room, you're like, you kind of hoping not to be seen that day, you know? Every day you're alive, you deserve to be seen, you know, and to see others. And when you can look yourself in the eye, in the mirror, guess what? You're going to more likely look someone else in the eye. And it, yes, it might be about clothing and you look more pulled together, but really the confidence that it brings to you that how you carry yourself differently it does change the course of your life it actually changes how your life goes the person that you may not have had the confidence to speak to that might end up being your partner or it might be the job opportunity or a friend for life or there's just a million things that will never happen to you if you're not dressed as you need to be for your life and my grandmother who was, is and remains, you know, the most stylish woman I ever know. You know, she passed away at 94, but she had this philosophy that she lived by and, and, and she's like, dress every day as if you're going to meet the most important person in your life. And she lived by it and it gave her a seat at the table. She lived an incredibly successful and respected and joyful life. And she always was pulled together, immaculate, more than I am, you know, she, she was really... But she had, it has power. It has power. And it brings a certain respect from other people. And it gives you, I think, a seat at the table of your own life. And I think that we should just, you know, claim it for ourselves. So much power sits in that sense of who am I and what are the conversations I want to be a part of. Really sorry to hear about your mum passing away recently. And it can, those experiences can give us a sense of kind of perspective. A lot of what you do requires energy. It requires that power. It requires the fuel. And even in some of the most exciting things that we do, when we've got a lot on our plate, it can be draining. How do you manage your own energy or what are those things? Do you have non-negotiables that help you to tap back into that well, just effervescence of life, this sense of today is worth taking, even when a part of you goes, I just want to crawling to bed. What do you do yeah. to tap into that? I've always had a lot of energy. Like I'm a very enthusiastic person. <laughs> you know, like no one's ever accused me of being cool. You know what I mean? Like I'm not apathetic about anything. I'm up for it. I, I'm up for it. I'm really yeah. curious. I think it's probably why I, you know, have had such a long job as a journalist and, and you probably have that, you know, is that I'm really curious. I want to find out. I want to ask too many questions and find out things about people and and I want to create and make and contribute and feel like, you know, this beautiful expression, you know, like not to die with the music still in me, you know, I just, that would just be just too difficult, you know, and it's, it's just, it, it is tough. I've got two young kids and as you know, you've got your kids and, and then your balance you tr- and I wish, you know, we all wish I had, I was like, give me just, just five more hours in the day. You know what I mean? I just, yep. please, I'll just. I'll be very good, you know, but we don't, we all have the same amount of hours in the day. So I'm naturally energized by the act of creation. So I remember I started my job at E! News six weeks after I had my first child. You know, I asked for longer, but they held the job for me. So I had to take it. And I started my sock label, High Hill Jungle, while I was pregnant, dragging myself around, my hips all out of place and stuff. And 
I've always dived into work and known that I'm a better mum when I work. I'm more energized when I'm work. I come back and you can always check in and see if you're doing the right thing. Like, do you come back from working or whatever it is with more energy or less energy? Because that's, you always got to look at like, even with your, whether it be your clothing or, you know, my idea of like revealing ourselves in details or how you, you know, like when you leave talking to someone, how do you feel? Like, do you feel good or do you feel a bit bad about yourself? These are the clues that are all, that exist for us to, to, to tap into and to know where to navigate your boat sort of thing. Where, who do you spend more time with? So that's a thing in terms of energy. Where do you feel like your cup's full a bit after you spent time? Whereas you can spend time with other people who could be perfectly nice and somehow you just feel a bit shitty about yourself at the end or or whatever you feel like, oh, I don't know what happened. It was a seemingly good conversation. And other people you just feel like, oh, that was the stuff of magic. And then professionally the same thing. You know, do you come home from a day of work or whether you're working from home and do you still feel energized or more energized or do you feel drained, you know? And these are the things that we need to ask ourselves and then try to the best of our ability, design our life to have more of the, you know, what I call the battery included experiences, you know? Like, I, And so for me, creating, building now my business, you know, even filming the show, we're, we're shooting, you know, often 11 hours a day, six days a week. And, you know, you're wearing, you're wearing heels and you're on, and I'm in every scene, you know, it's not yeah. like, you know. It's, you get a scene and off. And it's all no. unscripted. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's not like I've got a script and I'm an actress and I'm following and I've been practicing mm. my lines. I'm with these people 100% and, and feeling them and, and you're going with my intuition. So you're really, but I felt energized in, in the next 4.30 a.m. I, I, I mean, yeah, I was a little tired, but I was also excited to get out of bed, you know. And so I think what I'm not as good at is I need to go to bed earlier. That's my fatal flaw mm-hmm. is I go to bed too late because I, I like working when the kids are asleep and the world's still and I finally don't have the noise and I just love, I can be so productive. Like I felt like I could just, I'm that mad artist that could just, if I could work till 3am or whatever, but I've got kids, I've got to get up, I've got to function. And then in the morning I'm like, it's like the grateful dead. You know what I mean? Like it's <laughs> yes. not easy for me. But yeah, so my non it's a long way of saying that I think my work really inspires me, gives me a lot of energy, making progress, getting that feedback from people who love, whether it be my shows or my socks or whatever, you know, and it gives me energy to bring into being a mum, which is obviously, you know, that I feel I can enjoy them because I feel realised as a person as well. And I just need to get more sleep. <laughs> Those extra five hours, that's where that will go. Yeah, this, I know. Yeah. You might have answered this already, but how do you get clear on what to say yes to and what to say no to? And it might be a bit of that what energises you. But, yeah, how is that something that you kind of, whether it's intuition or kind of lean into, is this something that will fuel me or something that will yeah. drain me? Yeah, absolutely. I think how keen are you to respond to that email? Do you know what I mean? Mm. <laughs> like, do, do you know what I mean? Like, that's a good, like, looking for clues, right? Like, you know, you wake up in the morning, you check your phone and, like, are you so excited to respond to that? Or you just kind of hope it goes away, you know? Like, <laughs> that's, a, that's it. And sometimes you still have to, you know, you still have to attend yeah. to those ones. But I think that's a great way of seeing whether you want to or not what you say yes to. And sometimes you have to, like a lot of, listen, even running a business is not all the fun stuff. You know, a lot of it's like the spreadsheets and the the less sexy, you know, like every business, everything you do has the not so sexy side of it and that's part of it. Got to have a good work ethic, right? But I think that, you know, you obviously have to do things financially, what you need to to survive, but at the same time, do try and find your own projects. I always feel like, if I waited for someone to give me a job in television, I, I wouldn't have worked a day in my life. You know, no one's, I've never applied for a job. Like there's never been like, oh, opening for, a, you know, there's never happened. I think for me, and it's kind of an unusual response to your question, but I think it's like, you have to just create your own opportunity, like create the things that, so you're not saying yes or no to anything. There's maybe saying yes or no to you because you're the one that instigated it and you're driving your own ship, you know, you're you're the captain of your own ship and and sometimes they're going to say no to you just as but you're in charge of that destiny so you're doing the things that you want and that's what I've always done like when I came back to Australia I was like this is my dream to create this show and I was so lucky to have the most amazing partners, you know, in in Bruno and Steve and, and Eden and Marcella but 
what is this thing? Let me create it. Let me bring it into the world. It doesn't exist. Just like my books didn't exist or my sock company, you know, High Hill Jungle, you know, didn't exist. You know, what, what do I want to do? I'm going to make it, you know, and I hope I'm going to put everything I have into it. I'm going to work so hard. I'm going to be so honest. I'm going to be pure in my intention. You know, it's not motivated by even like selfish ambition. It's like, I just want to put stuff in me into the world so that I can feel like I've contributed. And that energizes me. Mm. That's what I say yes to. Yes, makes sense. High Hill Jungle is a sock and hosiery line. Why Mm. sock and hosiery? I know, because I'm crazy. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Do you know what I've, you know, touching in on the whole philosophy of everything I've done in my career and is this idea of like getting dressed every day should be a joyful, empowering form of self-expression. And, you know, we don't have, not all of us have the ability to go and buy a whole new wardrobe. What if you could add one item to your wardrobe, what you're wearing, and instantly it gave you a sense of joy and a point of view, self-expression. And the hosiery and and sock category is just so boring usually. You know, it's like somewhere, there's like the high-end Walford, (laughs) which is great, you know, for $70 or $80, you know, and then, but it's black, you know, whatever. And then there's happy socks, you know what I mean? Like bonds, whatever, you know what I mean? But yet we all have to wear shoes. We're all wearing socks. We're all wearing, you know, why don't you inject some personality, but in a very chic way, not in a like, uh, <laughs> little golf course or whales thing, Something but you like granddad. No, 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 no. <laughs> let's, let's make them really elegant, really chic, really creative, really beautiful and create a really wide range so that you could wear them, you know, with heels. If you wanted to wear it with loafers or with your cool sneakers or your Birkenstocks or whatever. And no matter what you're wearing, no question that people will come up to you and be like, Oh my gosh, where are your socks from? Or where are your tights from? They're so they're a conversation starter. And that's also about using fashion to change the course of your life, to engage in, you know, relationships and communications that you probably wouldn't have before. And so I started wearing High Hill Jungle when I was interviewing all these celebrities when I was in Hollywood. So I was working at Sunrise and then Access Hollywood at the time. And my job every day was to do these celebrity junkets. So interviewing every day, like, you know, everyone, <laughs> you know, we interviewed everyone. And I would wear them and people would stop me. And all the other journalists who were there for this junket would be like, where are they from? And then, you know, whether it be the pin and the younger, or like everyone would be in the middle asking. And sometimes I, so I would bring extra pairs of what I was wearing because that was what they wanted. And then sometimes they would put them on in the in the middle of the interview, like or if I before I had that, like, can I have them off your feet? Like, just love them so much because it was something new and exciting. And so I started selling at Fred Siegel in LA, and we it was just like they were popping up, doing a pop up to check, and it became part of their permanent collection. And now we're in Nordstrom, and we're the biggest sock brand on free people and anthropology. We do tights now. We're at David Jones the iconic and then highheeljungle.com, our website. And it's become even bigger than the TV. It's just become this kind of amazing thing to watch. And and now we're doing gloves and it's just exciting to help people express themselves and have fun and, and be the antidote to the safe dressing, which is what I think we've been like shoved down our throat for so long now. Like just have a bit of fun. Just, you know what I mean? Just bank, just, have a bit of fun and that's what it is. Find yeah. these find these elements for expression. Business is a totally different pathway. What has surprised you about building this business and the elements yeah. of business that you've had to navigate? Well, it's so funny because for most of my career kind of, I mean, the books I guess exist as a, as a separate entity but really you're the product, you know. Like I, when you're in media, you're the product and that's great but it's also really nice to not be the product and to put your creativity into something that exists and people can go and purchase it. And it and not I, a piece of you. <laughs> and it's not a piece, it's a piece of you, but it's not, it's not you, you know, mm. and, but it is still a piece of you. Right. And I've just learned so much, you know, obviously from the technical side of like production and, you know, we've got warehouses in the U S and warehouses here in Australia and, and navigating that. But the joy when someone does purchase it, you know, you're seeing, you know, our sales are incredibly strong. You know, it's so, and I'm always, I'm so excited that people love it and and wear High Hill Jungle and they post us in there. So it's so exciting to see. Like I remember I started when I, as I said, when I was pregnant with my second child and I thought, I don't know whether High Hill Jungle is going to work or not, but it's not going to work because I didn't do it. And that's the thing, like in life, it's like, 
it may succeed or fail, but it won't, I won't fail because I never did it because that's real failure, right? Like just in life, that's a great attitude to have. Like I don't, if I try and it doesn't work, I've succeeded because I didn't sit on the sidelines. And so I'm proud of watching it grow and it being a really big business now. And, you know, I'm still figuring out so much, you know, and it doesn't, some of it doesn't come naturally, the, you know, the back end stuff of things. But, you know, in the morning, I get so excited to wake up and see all these huge wholesale orders and this and that. And I'm like, people want it. And then I ask them, oh, can you do gloves? I'm like, yeah, I design gloves. That's what I do late at night when I should be sleeping. And I just love it, building out a team and having that community as well, Because sometimes, which I love. You know, television, you have it, but writing's quite solitary as a profession. And when you start a business, it's solitary because you can't afford to employ people. And then as you build it and start growing, you can have a team around you, which I love. So, yeah, it's a very fun thing to, to see grow. And for it to not have an expiry date and it's not about me, it's like this and you're building it and it exists and that's a cool thing. Creativity and and particularly writing has been a thread that we've talked about in this conversation even through like as a, as a young girl and, and through your kind of schooling. What's exciting you about what's next in terms of your own creative expression? Oh, I'm so excited about so many things. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm really, I don't know what's wrong with me. I feel like I'm like, but I'm, I'm so excited about the world discovering this show. We've just been selling it overseas, which is really fun. So I think we're going into Germany and Norway and going to Hong Kong or Singapore. And then we'll be selling it in America and the UK, you know, so seeing, you know, sharing this, which is such a personal kind of, thing for me, the most personal television I've ever done and hoping to change people's lives through that. You know, you don't always get to do that in television. You might inform people or touch people or entertain people suddenly or, but you don't get to like actually change people's lives. Usually in the most fundamental thing, you get to like report on people's lives that have changed. And this way I'm acting like the, the agent cause improving people's life. It's such a gift, you know, for me, I feel so lucky that I get to do that. Like how lucky am I? And the relationship you build with these people that were strangers that forever you're that person for them. And I'm so grateful for that. And um, so sharing undressed with the world, I'm really excited about watching High Hill Jungle grow. I would love to finish writing a book. It's just finding the time. You know, that's why we need those. We're going to do the deal with the devil, right? Get those extra time. You know, one thing I am struggling with is social media, to be honest. Like I'm finding it really difficult. I'm finding it harder and harder to say what I want to say on that, on Instagram. It feels so very, it's so visual and I don't know how, I'm really kind of grappling in terms of like, to be honest, what I'm not feeling strong about Mm -hmm. is how do I communicate myself? Like in a television show, I can, but I'm, you know, it just feels so superficial and it's not, you know, and then... In terms of the visual versus what's actually the visual, bubbling. yeah, the essence of you. And people do it. Some people do it really well, but mm-hmm. I haven't... I'm kind of got to figure that out, to be honest, mm-hmm. how to do that. It feels authentic, not like just like fake oversharing, you know. There's so, you know what I mean? Like fake authenticity. <laughs> yeah. And some people do it well and built big careers, you know, on it, but I just can't do that, you know. So I want to kind of figure writing- out a bit of that Mm. pathway for you and obviously that's not necessarily public writing but that expression of writing is that has that been a pathway for you to feel more authentically your voice yeah absolutely I think everything I've done whether it be on my show that is really me you know like it's very authentic and then the writing that I do is always very everything I am you know to a fault authentic it's just I find it difficult posting which is like an outfit and then like adding a meaningful caption to it. it just feels so disgusting you know what I mean like I haven't figured out I think I really do want to communicate with people with women and I just think I have to I've been so busy I just want to find what that channel looks like for me to be totally honest so I can be my you know because I don't think you necessarily get the sense of who I am from social you know so I think you know it just oh there's, there's an outfit or you know there's the kids or whatever but it's So that's something I'm excited about exploring and kind of figuring out what that is for me and doing more TV and working on something else and I've got always a few things. So, yeah, lots of sun. Looking after the kids, which I'm enjoying them. They're at a great age. How old are they? I've got a five-year-old and a nine-year-old and I'm just – 
loving it. Like it's just, I want, you know, like you have some mm. years where you're like, not the best, but you know, like yeah. I'm enjoying it, but a yeah. bit of hard work right now. It's like this golden moment. I always say to my husband, Simon, I'm like, this is as good as it gets, you know, which is something my mum always to say, like, this is as good as it gets. Like they still want to hang out with mom. They're still really cute. They're this intelligent. They're just in this beautiful period. And I'm just, I'm also wanting to really enjoy that and being with my family as well because I was away for so long. So from my, you know, my dad and my brother and sister. Soak it up and and really, yeah, yeah. soak in those moments. Soak it in, you know, yeah. We have a Friday night dinner every Friday. I don't miss it no matter what, you know, unless it's a really good something. If I'm there with you on a Friday night, it means it's a high compliment because I say no to pretty much everything. And we always have the multi-generational family dinner together, you know, and of course Shabbat, but we have it in restaurants, you know, it's a Jewish thing. And uh, I just love it. You know, I just want to be with family and my close friends so much. And that's part of that, knowing who we are and what are those things that are really, really important in our lives right now. This conversation has been a real eye-opener for me and, and I know for plenty of people listening will start to think about who they are. Even that call to looking yourself in the eye in the mirror feels confronting even to say that out loud but potentially freeing. So plenty of gems I want to finish with the final question. The name of this podcast is called Stand Out Life. When you hear that term, what does it mean to you to live a standout life? It's a great name for a podcast, by the way. Um, <laughs> I think it's about not caring so much about what other people think of you and just, and I don't want it to sound naff, but really like, what are you passionate about? Who are you? What kind of person are you? And don't worry about no one else's, you know, that thing is like, you don't, don't worry about what people are saying about you. Anyway, they're not even talking about you. You know what I mean? <laughs> like they're not even talking about you. Like people do not care about you. Okay. They don't like you and you don't take up enough space in their mind for them to be bagging on you. You know, so just get rid of that noise, feel free. And whether it be through the clothes that you wear as a tool that you use or the things that you create professionally and all the friendships that you pursue, you know, for that emotional, you know, sustenance, just do what you want because no one else cares. So don't try and impress them anyway. It's a waste of time. Standout life is just being true to yourself and owning it. And that's what I think. Yeah. Liberating is what comes to mind when I hear you say that. There's something about, oh, they're not talking about me. <laughs> really? Then you no can do cares. whatever you like, right? It's You it's, can do whatever you like. You're not hurting anyone. Just do it. And don't be afraid of no's or rejection. You know, the idea of like, I, you know, don't be in a position where you're the one saying yes and no to things. I know that sounds like obviously that's a good position to be in, but like you be the one that's instigating it so that people are saying yes and no to you because then you're driving your own, you know, vehicle, you know, and it is tough and I'm not saying it's easy and there are certainly like it's not an easy path to for any of us, like for any of us. It's certainly not easy, but at least you're like creating the life that you want and you're going for it and there's some dignity in that and there's some energy in that and I respect anyone who kind of has that level of truth with themselves. I, I, I like it. They're the people I like, yeah. I like them too. I also picture your 94-year-old grandmother. There's an essence in that, right, of oh, just being who you did are. It. And we all can be very self-deprecating. Myself, this idea of that your subconscious doesn't like have a good sense of humor. Like, so sometimes we can put ourselves down. Like I often do, it's the Australian way, you know, like yeah. before anyone, your brother or sister do, you're like, I'm going to get in there first. And I'm, I don't do this enough. And I don't think most of us do. And I think women in general don't, but like, give yourself a bit of a pat on the back every now and then. You know what I mean? Like I don't do it. I'm so hard on myself, to, you know, but I'm, cause I want to do so much and I'm like, oh, but I could do, you know, I should do. But say like, you know what? Like there's two ways of looking at one is between where you are and where you want to go and the, and the chasm between the two and the other one is where you want to go but also look at from whence you've come you know where you've come from and the chasm between those things and let that motivate you and drive you to be like okay if I got from there to here then I've got everything I need to get to the next thing you know and to enjoy the journey and not chastise yourself as much so and to speak kindly to yourself a bit more I think we all need to do that especially women just be every now and look at yourself in the mirror and give yourself a real compliment. And it's going to feel really weird and really awkward and confronting, as you say. 
until it's not, until it becomes normal. And you just got to work through that phase until you get there. It's worth it though. I'll sign up to it. Thank you so much, Catherine. Thank you so much for having me. If you've enjoyed this conversation, then let's keep the conversation going. The main place that I hang out is on Instagram at Ali Hill, A-L-I-H-I-L-L. One of the ways you can continue to support me and the team behind the podcast is if you could take two minutes just to rate and review Standout Life Podcast on whatever platform you are listening to. You can also subscribe to the podcast so you'll be notified when new episodes come out. And if this conversation is one that you know that someone in your world would get huge amount of value out of, then please share share it with them or maybe share it on your socials. Once again, thanks so much for tuning in, for your ongoing support and for joining me in exploring what does it really take. As always, this is Standout Life Podcast and I'm Ali Hill.